0: Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Voices in Recovery is produced by Freedom's Path Recovery Society, a registered Canadian charity. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider a donation at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca. All donations go directly to assisting Freedom's Path in providing services free of charge and helps us keep the podcast going. We are grateful for any
1: and all donations. This podcast discusses difficult topics such as childhood abuse, drug and alcohol use, sexuality, sexualized trauma, and more. If you are under the age of 18, please speak with your legal guardian prior to listening.
0: The opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individual, and not those of Voices in Recovery or Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast.
1: This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Black Sea in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Pop, Morley, and Shunikki. We acknowledge the Satina who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treated people. Alan, thanks for uh, stepping in, 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 in uh, Kelly's place. My pleasure. Um... <laughs> Right on. So uh, take it away. Tell us about yourself.
0: This is all about you. Well, I'm been in recovery for seven years right on. Um, from sex addiction okay. um, and meth. So the sex part is a piece that a lot of people don't talk about mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a whole lot. So yeah, it's. I mean, there's kind been... of lots of cultures that are designed around the meth
1: and, oh. and using and sex. Yeah. I mean, right? And, I and identify so...
0: as gay. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I really, really, you know, I can't say I fell into the party and play scene. Mm, Um, I was just in the play scene. Just the play. Gotcha. And, you know, and I've looked back on that. You know, I I grew up in a small town in Saskatchewan and uh, in a household with an alcoholic father. Uh, He was gentle, which was good. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom was really, really sick. Uh, So a lot of chaos, a lot of poverty Mm -hmm. uh, within that. Uh, A lot of bullying when I went to school Mm. for being... Poor, fat, (laughs) and a sissy. Mm. Mm. So I never fit in, Mm -hmm. um, ever. And kids can be cruel. Yeah, and I just, so I just hid. I Mm. I would hang out with with older people and older kids, Mm. but yeah, just never fit into what that school was and certainly didn't fit into team sports or anything. So, Mm. you know, what did I do then is I really focused on the academic side and, and, and really rolled, but the bowling didn't stop. It went all the way through high school and into university. But...
1: Are you okay if we get a photo of us? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, I didn't know what it meant to be gay, like when, mm-hmm. when kids called me a sissy. Uh, I knew that I was different, I just didn't mm-hmm. know what that was. You don't know what it is when you're like mm-hmm. six or seven years old. Pretty tough um, to
1: put it together, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then my only ally, so my mom died when I was 14, mm-hmm. so that threw me into the caregiver role. I had two brothers and a sister. Uh, which was great. I learned some great things. You know, I took on responsibility and could get the job done, which really, really helped me in my career later on. But I still didn't fit anywhere and it was really, really you know, lonely and, and isolating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the moment I graduated from high school, I left that town in Saskatchewan and didn't look back. Yeah. <laughs> all, you know, all my family's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I go back home. I love going back home. I love mm-hmm. seeing my family. but. So, yeah, I went into university, and I, just, I still denied that I was gay. I, I, the, the Catholic upbringing that I have really, you know, it's like, this is wrong, blah, 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 blah. So, um, Yeah, I wrestled with that my, yeah. most of my life, too. So. Yeah. yeah, I tell people I'm a recovering Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the other part, then, was I just kept denying my, my sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I, went, I started working for a bank, uh, so I threw my whole self into the bank which Mm -hmm. is sort of what I do with stuff I just throw myself right in up to here without thinking about what that is and kept denying it kept denying it but you know by the time you're like 24 years old you can't Mm -hmm. deny the sexual piece anymore yeah so yeah I went to my first gay bar and was terrified as hell Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then the I went a second time and hooked up with somebody and it was like honestly it was like the floodgates opened up Mm -hmm. um you know, I hear people that deal with alcohol saying that first drink that they ever took, mm-hmm. they probably became an alcoholic. The first time I really had sex, mm-hmm. I probably became uh, sexually addicted. because mm-hmm. It was validation, it was belonging, mm-hmm. it was like, oh look, here's my community, here's a tribe that makes sense, I'm part of something mm-hmm. now. And the bizarre thing was, the, the only way I could really, that I understood how to relate to that community was through sex. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that first sexual experience, well, if I wasn't a dopamine addict before, I was a dopamine addict yeah. after that sexual experience because I guess with everything else I said, along with the dopamine hit and how pleasurable the sex is, mm-hmm. um, I just wanted more. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I honestly didn't stop. You know, I had my career at the bank, I chased a lot of sex, I went to bars, you know, not that other people don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more I was doing that, the more I was stuck into that chase, I think the less I understood, and maybe I never understood what intimacy was as a man. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kept chasing that part. And, and it's fun, you know? <laughs> who, do, who, do, who doesn't like the sex piece? So, mm-hmm. kept doing that in Saskatchewan, and then the bank that I was working for transferred me to Calgary. So that really opened up <laughs> mm-hmm. what that could be. So, kept chasing it. I didn't realize that it was doing anything to me, you mm-hmm. know? It was, it's quite normalized within, within the gay community to, to go out there and, and, you know, practice some sexual freedom, figure out who you are mm-hmm. um, and what that is. So, yeah, it, and I, I don't judge it today. It's mm-hmm. just what I was doing. Um,
1: as part of the process for lots of us, right?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. What I didn't ever do was step back <laughs> and look at the people that were around me. So mm-hmm. I was really a selfish <laughs> sexual partner because mm-hmm. it was really all about me. And, and it, obviously, I, I can relate now and go, okay, that's part of what addiction is. It, mm-hmm. It's that selfish piece. But I didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And so I would get into relationships, you know, dump the relationship, you know, really, really quickly. Because, you know, there's something more over here. I've got to go chase this over here. Um, and the more I, I went into that chase, the more I just kept going. Um, and I met, I when I did come to Calgary after about a few months, I, I met a guy here. And really, first time... First time in my life I was monogamous <laughs> in a relationship and you know, I thought I was in love and this was it mm-hmm. and, you know, and he dumped me about two years later and he just said you just take energy mm-hmm. from people and you know David I didn't understand what that meant at that sure. time. Yeah. For sure. I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Hunger, but it's a vampire movie with David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve. I it, haven't seen it. Have you well, seen that, Darcy? No? Well, she takes, she's a vampire, she sucks, you know, all that life energy out of you, but mm-hmm. you can't die because you've now been immortal, and then she throws you upstairs in the attic in a coffin, <laughs> and then goes on to the next. That was sort of me. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay, bad. Fair enough. It was bad. I can picture it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, not far from there either, back in the day, so it's all good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so I wish I had understood what that was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then. That's a really good analogy, though. I I don't think I've ever heard anyone describe it like that. So, (laughs) yeah, I can laugh about it now. For sure. When I first came into recovery and had to look at that piece, going, holy shit, you just didn't see stuff, did you? Yeah. And I didn't. I was so blind to to who I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my career kept going up, and and that was good. I worked hard Mm -hmm. in my career uh, within the bank people understood that I was that guy that could come in, fix things, get things rolling again. So, you know, that was good. And life honestly was wonderful, mm-hmm. I, I was enjoying it. Um, and then he, he phoned me and let me know that he was HIV positive. And I didn't test positive, which is a shock, mm-hmm. you know, two years of unprotected sex. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't even, I don't even think I realized I had dodged a bullet at that moment, but um, anyway, In between that time, that I met the partner that I'm still with now, which is amazing, he's still with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, the first partner died, Mm -hmm. so that was hard. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. It was tough. You know, he meant a lot to me Mm -hmm. and and to a lot of uh, you know people. So, yeah, I I met this partner I have now, and he was a professional, and I was Mm -hmm. a professional, so things seemed to click. Um, That ability to be monogamous with him lasted, you know, probably four or five months <laughs> and so then I just kept going out, stepping outside the relationship. We had not agreed that this was going to be an open relationship, mm-hmm. I just told myself in my mind. Yeah, So you know, it was okay. There the lies began mm-hmm. and, and I think that's really where that lying to myself and that denial was there. Mm-hmm. You know, That mm-hmm. value part of me believed in a monogamous relationship, wanted a monogamous relationship, wanted to really, really be with one individual mm-hmm. and then This other side of me is like, oh no, no, you need to go over here and do whatever you need to do. Mm -hmm. The sex piece was almost my bad piece. The perfectionism and my bank facade and my career facade and all this stuff was over here. Mm -hmm. And then the bad boy (laughs) was over here, almost like I couldn't reconcile (laughs) or bring the two together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I just kept going. Uh, And the intensity of the sexual experiences were getting stronger and stronger. I was, you know going out there and trying more and more things. And again, nothing wrong with that, but I was starting to lose myself in that. Um, And to be honest, by that point of time when I was hooking up with guys, I just, I I didn't care. Mm -hmm. Really, who the hell they even were. Mm -hmm. It was really just about the sex. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there wasn't a piece of, a a piece of any sort of connection with, with that individual other than the sex piece. So yeah, I just kept chasing the sex, and, you know, porn, you know, we got to gravitate away from porn on, on mm-hmm. a DVD or even on the, on mm-hmm. the tapes that I had in, into the internet. So, you know, porn really just became a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, poppers became a, a, an everyday thing for mm-hmm. me. So, and it actually took me about two years into recovery where I actually looked at them and go, you know, Alan, you, you were already hooked on a drug mm-hmm. <laughs> way back. Back there, so um, and it just became more and chaotic. I forced my partner into an open relationship. Said, okay, this is open. Now go do your own thing. Uh, there was so much manipulation. Oh, it's some of the shit that I did uh, to him, and you know, telling guys to go over to the house, and then I'd blame him for hooking up with somebody, and I'd go out and do my own shit. And holy, it was it was out of hand. It was mm. absolutely out of hand. And just when I thought that it couldn't get more crazy, uh, one of uh, my sexual partners I'd met introduced me <laughs> to Crystal Maths. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, he told me, he says, don't do this drug because <laughs> you might get addicted. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm already at this stage in my life where I'm so selfish and so invincible that that mm-hmm. wasn't going to stop. So I tried it, didn't think it was doing anything mm-hmm. at all, uh, but it was doing something. I, I became addicted pretty quick, but, you know, it's not a surprise because the sexual activity and the anonymous sex I was doing, everything you know, and the risk I would bring into that sex could give me so much of a dopamine hit, mm-hmm. but it couldn't go any higher. Mm-hmm. But boy, when I found crystal meth, it took the dopamine hit <laughs> way higher. Yeah, and so all those inhibitions that I had around around sex were now completely gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it went. You know, a lot of things were happening. I was experimenting in a lot of other different areas. Um, I didn't see again what was going on. Mm-hmm. My partner, by this point in time, was, you know, really off to the side. It was just about me, and and my own chase for this. Um, I was on like fifteen websites simultaneously mm-hmm. at any given time. Uh, I went from snorting the meth, which he, you don't do, <laughs> I had mm-hmm. so many nose infections to to smoking it and. It's so stupid what goes on in one's mind. I thought, oh, smoking is so dirty.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so then somebody said, you should try injecting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the day I injected, deep down I knew that was the day life was over. Like, if I hadn't had any realization before um, that the drug had me, I think it was that moment that I injected. Mm-hmm. Because the feeling of euphoria that gave me um, was something like I'd never, never encountered before. Yeah. And, you know, Without it sounding really, really crude, but it was like, I would do the drug and it's like, okay, you better have the football team and the baseball team out there. I mean, that's, that's what it did from a sexual point uh, for me in my head. So then things just got bad, like really bad. I was injecting almost every day, trying to hold it. I was teaching out of college. So I was trying to teach and be high and, you know, started skipping work and, you know, things happened where, my reactiveness and my, and my self-centeredness and the ego just got in the way of mm-hmm. something that had happened at, at the college and I just blew up over the whole thing and uh, you know, brought the, like the president and the dean and everything. It was just, it was, I look back on it now, it's somewhat embarrassing. Uh, I did get a chance to make amends to, mm-hmm. to the dean, so that was good. But right on. Yeah, it was, and so I walked away. I, I, I quit. It's unfortunate that nobody knew what was going on. Everybody knew I had was erratic, Mm -hmm. but nobody knew what the hell it was. Mm -hmm. So, the uh, people would just go as just Alan. (laughs) If I ever write a book, it's going to be just Alan. If your name becomes an adjective, (laughs) you're fucked. (laughs) Yeah, no (laughs) doubt. So
1: uh, (laughs) that's funny.
0: (laughs) You you know, when people say that, you get away with a lot of Mm -hmm. shit in your life. (laughs) Totally,
1: it's true. It's just David. It's true. Darcy used to hear that all the time, too, it's just Darcy. <laughs> so,
0: um, yeah, it, I, I quit the college, and, which allowed me then to do as much drugs and as much sex as I wanted while my partner was at work between 8 o'clock in the morning and, and, and 6. Mm-hmm. So now I just ran with it. Um, but then the paranoia, because that drug just created so much paranoia. Mm-hmm. Um For me, and so much um, psychotic like be- psychosis yeah psychosis yeah. thanks yeah um, it, it was it was insane, my partner would actually film me using his phone and go, This is what you were saying last night, mm-hmm. and even that I was in total denial yeah and oh it, it was bad i would I always was sure somebody was following me, so I used to write down everybody, or take pictures of their license plates and come home and put it into a spreadsheet mm-hmm. and go, okay, who's been following? None of the plates matched ever. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was just that ridiculousness. And so in 2000 and February 2016, the psychosis was was so crazy that um, I was shopping. I was getting groceries because my partner's family were coming. And the I got in my head that the police were coming to get me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I... You know, I, I got home, put all the groceries away, got the house all in order. I go, Well, that can't happen. I I can't go to jail. I can't bring this this shame on myself or my family or my partner. So I went upstairs and, and grabbed an entire bottle of sleeping pills and and downed it. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know who phoned nine one one, you know, I don't know if it was my mother in heaven mm-hmm. <laughs> who who called or at that last moment, you know, I phoned nine one one. But um, yeah, all I heard was a voice, a female voice that said, are you okay? And I don't remember after that. Mm-hmm. And so I woke up in a psych ward, uh, I guess the next day. My partner didn't know what came happened. He mm-hmm. came home from work. There was no note. Nobody f- from the hospital phoned. Mm-hmm. Um, all he knew something happened was he went to go make dinner and in the kitchen um, garbage was the EKG mm. slip showing that I had... Flatlined. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. Wow. So when I, when I woke up in the hospital and, you know, went there, within 24 hours they let you out going, as long as you're not harmed to yourself or others, go mm-hmm. home. So, you know, a normal person might have thought <laughs> that there was something that you should do now. Mm-hmm. Nope. Nope. Now I just thought I was fucking invincible. Yeah. Okay. I've just cheated death. So mm-hmm. why the hell, why the hell would I stop now? Yeah. Why would you bother? <laughs> <laughs> yep. You got a lot of life left in you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just these. You know, we talk about insanity in the program. Absolutely. Holy! How much more insane can you get, guy? (laughs) And so I wasn't about to quit. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, this is where for me with my story, the meth addiction for me was actually a gift because Mm -hmm. I really couldn't see the sex part of what was happening to me. Tough to see that. Yeah. And. So in March of that same year, my family happened to be in town from Saskatchewan, and I, I couldn't pick up my nephew from the airport because I was so paranoid mm. that somebody was coming to get me. Mm-hmm. And so then my, my, my brother just went ballistic, and so he he cornered my partner and said, "What the hell is going on?" Mm-hmm. And you know, I look back on that now, and I realize it, my partner carried as much shame mm-hmm. um, as I carried around what this is, yeah. and. That trap, the addiction, put me in, put him in it. it, mm-hmm. it just as isolated as as mm-hmm. I was, he was as isolated. Yeah. You know, I I I refused to let him go see friends or mm-hmm. go out or, you know, it, it's it, it's bad. You know, I look back on that and I think of those days where he just shuddered. There was nothing mm-hmm. he could do. So, anyway, the that that was a God's gift was, was yeah. to have my family here and they played good cop, bad cop. My brother just called me out on, on my shit saying, you're an addict, and I'm like, mm-hmm. and I lied. I lied to my family, which is just mm-hmm. an insane thing to do. And, in, you know, there's a drawer full of drugs in my bedside, and my sister does the love part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they did exactly what they need to do. They said, fine, we're going to get you drug tested on Monday at the hospital, and we'll all know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I had to wake up the next morning. I'm like, what am I doing? I'm like, what am I yeah. doing here? And I think it was that dishonesty piece that finally... I think that's finally where that conflict in my values hit each other and Mm -hmm. so you know the gig was up I guess or or I was willing to admit that it was Mm -hmm. so yes I broke down and told my partner that morning and then confronted my my family Um, and let them know yeah that's this is what's going on and yeah then they locked me in the house until I picked a treatment center and Mm -hmm. you know my partner was so good in that regard my brother idea of of recovery was let's put him somewhere for for you know three months, lock him up, and tie him to a bed, and he'll mm-hmm. you know quit using and be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but my partner understood that I needed some of my own power in what this mm-hmm. was going to be and decisions. So so then the search was on to try and find a treatment center that dealt with sex and math for gay men.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and there's no there's not one in Canada yeah. <laughs> that I could find. So I ended up going into the U.S. Mm-hmm. into a treatment center there, which was. It was so awesome, yeah. and, but I got to tell you, I was still an arrogant prick <laughs> for the first two weeks down mm. there. And well, we, it takes most people longer than two weeks oh. to lose that, and some people never do. I, but yeah, still, I'm not going to say that's all gone in me. <laughs> but you know, I can look back on this as well. Mm. When I was phoning around trying to find places, I phoned down to this one, and I got this old man. His name is Bill. I owe my life, I think, to Bill. Uh, and he picks up the phone and I say, well, you know, I want to come down. He goes, well, how long do you want to come down for? I go, two weeks. He goes, why? Only two weeks. I go, well, you know, I'm a pretty smart guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I've got this high emotional intelligence, which I realize now I have none. <laughs> and uh, and he goes, you know what? Why don't you just send me $15,000 and I'll give you a fucking certificate <laughs> and say you've graduated from the program. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because no one's ever hit me across the head talking mm-hmm. to me like that before, but something resonated in that moment. I go, okay, this is the place I need to go. Mm-hmm. And and then after, you know, I was there for two weeks, I was in an intensive program, and at the end of the two weeks, you know, he just, he called me out, and he goes, and he just went on and on. And mm-hmm. I, re- I in re- that same day, we did a, a thing where we had to draw the facade that we we present to the world, mm-hmm. and then how we felt inside. And. You know, people talk about different bottoms that they hit. Um, I think that bottom for me really came that night when I was in the in the sober living house and I woke up crying on the floor. And I'm just going, holy shit, I don't know who I am mm. anymore. And I, I think it was that that realization that everything that I thought I knew was a lie. And that everything that I thought I could do was also a lie. And... You know, some people will call that surrender, and maybe that was my, my first surrender, mm-hmm. going, I've got to turn this over. And you know, that's why I am thankful still to the church, because in that moment I was able to, you know, get on my knees and go, okay, I don't know what to do, like I mm-hmm. really don't know what to do. And uh, that was sort of the turning point. Uh, so yeah, I stayed down there for, for a couple more months, and know, yeah, did not want to come back to Calgary. No doubt. So my partner flew down there and brought me back, and we're driving home from the airport. I'm like, I don't know that I want to be here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but then we do what we all do. Mm-hmm. I found where the meetings were that I needed to go to, and, and, and yeah, you know, I had two home groups, one for both of my addictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, started going to them and, you know, got a sponsor that worked for me. Um, found Hillhurst United Church. I, right up. One of the greatest things that I knew for me was, I had to go find that spiritual piece of me mm-hmm. again. And you've been to Hillhurst, so, that you did. know, and yep. I remember going in there, that's almost seven years ago now. And the minister, John, he always says every Sunday, you are loved, you're forgiven and you're mm-hmm. set free. He said that that first Sunday and I sat in the pew and I bawled <laughs> mm-hmm. for like 40 minutes. And I didn't care what, what people thought. but. Mm-hmm. You know, that idea that I could be forgiven and loved was just not a concept, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's exactly the message I needed to hear at that moment, so it was awesome. And then from there, I I kept going, you know, Hillhurst had a spiritual advisor there, Mm -hmm. so I worked with her, you know, in a sense, part of my recovery has been sort of privileged, Mm -hmm. uh, because I've... I've had the financial means to, to pay for that, to have mm-hmm. a therapist, you know. I'm really, really involved in recovery right now and in and, and recovery coaching. And, and part of that is, what is your recovery capital? What are those mm-hmm. resources you can bring to bear? So, you know, I've been really privileged in that regard that there have been those resources mm-hmm. I can bring in. Um, so yeah, I was able to, to work with her and uh, she was amazing. She really taught me, um, what it means to live outside of judgment. Mm-hmm. You know, her, her word was curiosity. Uh, so I apply that when I meet people and, uh, cause judgment is a different character mm-hmm. f- defect for me. Um, not with others, but also with, like with others, mm-hmm. but also with myself, so. Yeah. So I really try to practice that, that curiosity when I'm down that rabbit hole, which still happens often, mm-hmm. um, to go, what's, what's going on? Um, yep. Went through a couple sponsors, uh, did SMART Recovery, did mm-hmm. their training, uh, had the therapist. It's, you know, one of the things she encouraged me to do, she goes, just go take the risks. Mm-hmm. Go try shit out. Mm-hmm. Uh, find out what's right for you, Yeah, you know. There, there was parts of the 12-step program I didn't like, and mm-hmm. there was parts of other programs I didn't like, but there was parts of all of this that I did like. Yeah, And trying to figure out what this has been like to incorporate it in a way that works for me has mm-hmm. been a journey. <laughs> and It sure is. But looking in that mirror, mm-hmm. God, still looking in that mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's been, been almost seven years. I I can't believe where my life is mm-hmm. today. I, I couldn't envision a life where I wasn't chasing the sex, and yeah. I certainly could not envision a life without that drug. Mm-hmm. Um, and and here I am now where you know, in a relationship that is you know what? We get to know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still trying to figure out what joy means. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, you know, get to be really, really active in the re- in the recovery community, and I and I love that. That's where my my sense of purpose mm-hmm. uh, and meaning lies for me. Um, yeah, and all I can do is I just keep moving forward. Right on, and yeah. more will be revealed as you move forward. We're hoping.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We're hoping. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The. Uh, when I worked at Canadian Mental Health, we talked about this hidden part of who we are and, mm-hmm. and it's called the Jahari Window and it's like, there's this piece of us that we just don't know, we mm-hmm. just don't see. So that's the part I, I pray on every day. Mm-hmm. Show me more. Yeah, no doubt.
1: Reveal more. <laughs> yeah. And it'll happen because anyone who sticks around long enough, it,
0: more is revealed. It does. So, so, so yeah. I think the words I used with somebody I met today was trust in the process and mm-hmm. I just keep doing that every day. Right so, on. And letting go of the outcome.
1: Yeah, no shit. Is there anything you want to talk about? Like, it sounds like you're kind of at the end, so I don't want to rush you, but is there anything you would tell somebody out there who's struggling? Yeah,
0: uh, go out there and risk. Take, mm. the, take the risk to figure out what's right. You know, every, everybody's going to tell you or what you should do when you're in mm. recovery, whether it's family or even other people in recovery. Yeah, You know, listen to some of this because people have got some really, really good perspective, mm-hmm. but go try. Try and, mm-hmm. you know, surround yourself with, with people that are going to cheer you on. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you want to try something new and it doesn't work, then allow it not to work. You know, yeah. if, if you fall flat on your faces, I've done many times, mm-hmm. just get back up and go, what else is going to work for me? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, find those key people, you know, yeah. part of my life is I got to have a million friends all around me. Mm-hmm. Well, none of them were deep, you know, I just mm-hmm. lived on the surface. And so now I have close people in my life that, mm-hmm. are, that are my support, and, right and, and I work with those. And go out there and, you know, live life mm-hmm. to its max. My, my sponsor said one time, he goes, Alan, humility is bringing all the gifts that you have into the world as mm-hmm. boldly as you can. And I'm not a person that tends to live overly boldly, not mm-hmm. from a non-arrogant point of view. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, just be you. Right on. Yeah. So how can people, how would you, prefer
1: people reach out to you if they're interested in reaching out to you if you want them to reach out to you
0: yeah if, if somebody is, is dealing with this and mm-hmm. and um, and they're looking for what a coach is so coaching mm-hmm. recovery coaching is pretty new to Canada mm-hmm. <laughs> right now it's uh, we really 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 focus on helping people continue to move forward so we're not therapists mm-hmm. uh, we're not sponsors. <laughs> we mm-hmm. We are coaches that help you look forward. If you need to look at the trauma and stuff like that, then then you know we'll work with with you know a psychologist mm-hmm. or somebody to do that. But it's really helping you build build that that hope, vision, and action as mm-hmm. to what you need to do, which is that program I'm involved with with Kelly.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> is it okay if we connect? Yeah. To, it's on a dime, right? Transformation. Yes. So what yeah. we'll do is if that's the best way to get a hold of you, yeah, we'll just put that link in. In the yep. in the podcast links.
0: Yep. Okay. So, right on. And you, I can't think. Kelly's talked to you about the Auto Dimes, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's something that I wish I had had when I came mm-hmm. into recovery. Like trying to figure out who the hell are, are you in recovery? Yeah. Um, what could a what could a vision even be? Mm-hmm. And where do I find that that commitment to create that action? Yeah. So, you know, we've created this six week program with this process involved in it. So. Mm-hmm know it really helps people move you know sort of find find what that is on who yep. they are, what, what's that identity that, that makes sense for you and then, and then move forward from right there. on so
1: and so how how's it, uh, how it laid out for people
0: it's the in the program, the first two weeks are all about hope, so okay. it's all about what is your value mm. uh, and I really struggled with that when I came in into you know you go, I go from this arrogant part of. Think I knowing who I am mm-hmm. to like shit. I don't know anything about myself. Yeah. To that, okay, I'm worthless. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so, going through that process of going, what what value do I bring? What value do I bring to myself? What value do I bring to others? So we run you through that, not just with the traditional skills and strengths, but mm-hmm. what are your passions? Uh, you know, what are your values? You know, what are your beliefs that that are dear to you that you mm-hmm. can you can uncover and build that foundation to move from. Mm-hmm. So we really help people uncover that piece um, and then start to translate that in, into greater value. Right. You know, how do I take that out? So even in a, if you're going to go into an interview you would walk in and go Here, "Not here's my list of strengths and mm-hmm. skills. You're gonna walk in there and go here's what I bring <laughs> and this is what it means mm-hmm. and this is how it's tied to all of me both the external side of me and the internal side of me. Okay. So we do that and then we really help people uh, move into vision and you know some of that involves the permission to dream. Sometimes we just have to give ourselves the ability to go, I just need to step back and go, what do I really want? Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of addiction, for me, I understood was, was I getting my needs want or or met? Mm -hmm. And yeah, maybe, but I wasn't Mm -hmm. doing it in a healthy way. So, you know, what is it that's important to me now? And Mm -hmm. and what, what is that going to look like for me to move forward? Mm -hmm. So, We really work with people to define what that is from a vision point of view. And then from there, we move people into, let's build a roadmap. What what does that path look like? And, and, you know, it's not just one road. There's multiple Mm -hmm. paths to what you want to do. And, you know, a recovery is part of what that path, one of those paths Mm -hmm. will be. But it's, you know, maybe you've got a family. You know, maybe there's those hobbies that are really important to you. Maybe there's those passions that you want to pursue. So, you know, what do those pathways look like? Mm-hmm. And then, what are the milestones and, and the steps uh, that you want to incorporate there? You know, to get into them. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. Yeah. So it's we've ran three groups of people through it now. Right on. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's, it's all about transformation. When's and, the next one start? We're not quite sure. We just finished one. Yeah, I, I, um, I knew it yeah, was coming yeah. to a close. Or Yeah, yeah, that came to a close. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to redevelop the program now for people that might want to take it just all on their own mm-hmm. and then have facilitators or coaches work with them during that. Yeah. So There's a lot of commitment in a six-week program. For sure. Um, whether you've got the time to mm-hmm. do that or not. So we're really trying to create as many ways to offer it as, as we can. To make right a, on. A, a, accessible as we can. Excellent. Yeah. So
1: Okay, and that's On a Dime Transformations. Yep. And so the website is www.onadimetransformations.ca? No, just onadime.ca. Onadime.ca. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Right on. So yeah. we'll add that stuff into the,
0: sure. the links. So. And mine is genesisrecoverycoaching.ca. <laughs> right on. Yeah. All about recreating yourself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Well, thank you so much for coming
1: on, Alex. Really appreciate it. So.